right. Thank you all for joining us. Hello, everybody. My name is Micah Ariel James, and I am the Associate Director of Education and Community Engagement at Hancher Auditorium. And I'm so glad that you are all here to join in on this conversation with Anthony McGill. I'll begin with uh, an introduction and then we'll hop right into this, this conversation on music and social justice. So hailed by the New York Times for his trademark brilliance, penetrating sound and rich character, clarinetist Anthony McGill enjoys a dynamic international solo and chamber music career and is principal clarinet of the New York Philharmonic, the first African-American principal player in the organization's history. He is the recipient of the 2020 Avery Fisher Prize one of classical music's most significant awards given in recognition of soloists who represent the highest level of musical excellence. McGill appears as a soloist with top, orchestra, top orchestras, including the New York Philharmonic, Metropolitan Opera, Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, and Kansas City Symphony. He performed alongside Isaac Perlman, Yo-Yo Ma, and Gabriela Montero at the inauguration of President Barack Obama, premiering a piece by John Williams. As a chamber musician, McGill is a collaborator of the Brentano, Daedalus, Ornery, Jack, Miro, Pacifica, Shanghai, Takash, and Tokyo Quartets, as well as Emmanuel Axe, Inan Barnaton, Gloria Xian, Yefim Bronfman, Gil Shaham, Midori, Mitsuko Uchida, and Lang Lang. He serves on the faculty of the Juilliard School, Curtis Institute of Music, and Bard College Conservatory of Music. He is the artistic director for the music advancement program at the Juilliard School. In 2020, McGill's Take Two Knees campaign protesting the death of George Floyd and historic racial injustice went viral. Thank you, Anthony, for joining us. So I would actually love to start there. And I will say for format, we're gonna talk for a while and then we'll have a chance to answer questions so feel free to put questions in the chat or to message them to me directly and we'll incorporate those as we can. Um, but I'd love to start there, kind of where I, I ended. Oh, you're muted. There, there we go. go. Yeah, I was in muted jail. You you're had to allow jail. me to, to um, unmute. So that might happen again if we hear some noise in the background. But yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I'd love to start with with the the video that went viral. So in May of last year, in May of 2020, following the killing of George Floyd, you posted a video online uh, on, on social media. In it, it's a 90 second video uh, where you play America the Beautiful and then in a really just haunting, beautiful, powerful way. And then you kneel, you actually take both knees um, and then you posted it with a caption, and I want to read a selection from that caption. So you wrote, this normal isn't new. It's just easier to see what's going on now that some of the horrific hate crimes that happen every day make the national news. Complacency is rampant, and hiding behind privilege is obviously just as bad. If there were a hashtag, if there were hashtag movements in the last century during America's good old days, one could easily have been Black lives definitely don't matter. Few would have batted an eye. Why did you decide to create that video and post it with the hashtag take two knees? Um, so um, this is really um, an interesting time to be doing this, of course, because the trial just started this week. And so if I uh, rewind back to um, the day, which was days after uh, George Floyd was murdered, um, I, I hadn't, this was not something that I planned to do, but I woke up um, that morning after I'd, I'd taken a couple days before I could even bring myself to watch the video um, that had um, uh, gone uh, viral as well up uh, with the, the, um, the, the murder. Um, and this was the morning after I had watched um, the video and I woke up early in the morning and um, I I started to, to, to say something to start to take some notes in my phone about what 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 all of these things meant to me maybe my entire life but also about there were already people starting to protest and and I was like you know I hope 
that, um, as I mentioned in the statement, that we can understand that when people protest, this is not something that should be radical. This is not something that this is about humanity. And people tend to make uh, protest something about something else, something uh, different. And um, so I wanted to just put my thoughts down at first. And as the day went on, I was um, thinking about this and I was hurting so much and I felt so much pain and, and vulnerability and also just kind of I felt voiceless because this was at the time where I hadn't played my clarinet. I hadn't performed as a musician in so long. Um, but this was something that I wanted to put my thoughts down on onto, onto paper, if you will. And um, so the performance of the video kind of came out of the words that I, that I wrote and how I wanted to phrase that to kind of um, challenge us all to like, kind of pay attention. And it was a lot of it was tied up into my thoughts about um, the movement that Colin Kaepernick tried uh, to start where he was taking a knee and during football games and how everyone kept saying, well, you don't want to distract from the game of football or people always say that when you protest is like you should focus on on what you're doing, just st stick to football, stick to the clarinet, stick to this, stick to this, instead of like trying to bring awareness to um, a great injustice. And um, so that's where the concept of like, I, I was like, let me just like take two knees. You know, Colin Kaepernick tried to take one knee and everyone said that wasn't enough, you know, and it wasn't, that wasn't somehow not peaceful enough, you know, and um, so I wanted to amplify that. I wanted to bring attention to this issue. And at the same time, this was around the same time that um, Brianna Taylor and, and others had been going, you know, had been, um, we've all been going through all of these things for so many years that I wanted to bring attention to that in my own way and to have others join me if they would like to um, speak up about this. And a lot of people started to find in, especially in 2020, because we had to, and also because it became the thing that worked, uh, found these virtual spaces, this community and online spaces. Did you also find that to be the case? What were the responses to, to your post? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great point about the, the power of the online space. 20 years ago, when we wanted to speak up and say something, we had to go out and and be in the streets and yell to those around us or talk to our friends and family and those around us about what was going on. But now with everything being you know, virtual and everyone really just being at home in that moment, in this moment in 2020, with everything going on with COVID, um, I did find there was a community of people, there was a community there's a community of, of support, a community of people speaking together, a powerful voice of community online that, that can unite for, for something powerful, some, for us to say something against something so hateful and something so wrong with our society and to have this um, community. So there were thousands, hundreds and hundreds of people, some I didn't know, some I did know, who also kind of took two knees with me, um, uh, you know, just in a in a way, but who spoke up on their social media, who who performed their instruments or used their voices or danced to music, um, but to to behind the uh, against racial injustice. And um, and for for unity and progress and all those things that we hold true and dear, and so it was a sad sad time, and I watched almost every single video that people did all around the country, even overseas. I watched every single one, because not only was it um, um, a place for me to kind of reach out to the world and say this is something that. I care about, and I hope you care about it too. And I think we should unite around it and use your art and your power and your voices to say something, to speak up about it, to hopefully create change within our industry, but to create change within the world. Um, 
uh, so that's kind of what I felt about it, but it was a very emotional time for me. And then one of the other things that you did, in addition to all of that and all of the, the connecting via video, you also put some money behind it and you pledge, I think it was $5,000 to the Equal Justice Initiative. And, and then you did $50 for every, you know, for videos that you were seeing. Why was that an important part of, of what you were making known to people? So um, a couple, a few months after the initial video and the take two knees, part of part of what I wanted to do, I was still kind of, we were all still kind of locked down. I mean, at least in New York, we were very much quarantined. Like we were very much not moving, not really able to get out and do something, you know, actionable or something meaningful. And so I wanted to, in addition to the cry out, which, which as musicians, as artists, we, we want to express our feelings about an issue that's important to us. Part of the important, important thing that we are all realizing and important thing that um, is probably the key to all of this awareness gathering and awareness spreading is doing something, you know, very specific. And so I had the idea to um, support an organization that I really believe in, the Equal Justice Initiative and Brian Stevenson, and to, to say to people, yes, we can say as much as we want, but maybe one tiny little gesture we can do that I could do with starting this video would be to try to get others to say something so I, they would be participating in me and them giving actual money to an organization that is really doing real um, work that is actually on the ground action you know i'm a musician that's what i do i play clarinet but what can i do to try to connect with people that are really doing real work in the area of um, injustice and the area of awareness and bringing attention to a lot of historical um, crimes, basically, against humanity, against Americans. And so we raised, I think, almost $20,000 at the end of that um, fundraiser through the Take Two Knees, through my video and my words. But I think I wanted to kind of put something a little bit more concrete on what one tiny little thing that one, one can do to support um, things that we believe in. And like I said, that's just one thing. And so it was um, something I felt like was necessary for me uh, to do. Yeah, that's, that's really, really wonderful. Has using your platform to create change in this way, has that always been an important part of your artistic, artistic identity? Or, or was there a, a thing? Was it was it last year? Or was there something? Was there a moment where you said, this is important. I have to say something. I have to do something. This this needs to be a part of who I am. Yeah, I think it's a great question because I think being a black person has always been a part of who I am. And yet, when when you're growing up in the world, you think well, part of what you are and what you're doing and how you can move through the world and affect change is by what you're doing. So as in building your, um, your, your, your life and your career as, and happened to be for me as a musician and in doing so as a black man, I've always felt that that has been a part of my identity and also with, with the way I go through the world and what I believe and how, what I do with, with like music education as a thing I believe in and to reaching, um, uh, underserved communities and diverse peoples and all of this stuff. That's been a part of my, I guess, my life's mission based on where I came from and who I am and what my parents taught me about what it means to be a Black person in the world. But this was something very different than what I had done previously, because this one was much more of people need to know what I, what I actually believe and they need to hear it from me in a way that um, hopefully influences how they think about their world in 
our small field of classical music, but also the greater society. And sometimes the power that we have, we don't even know that we don't have a way to give that power a voice, except through our art form or through our the means of, of our life's work that we do. So this was a little bit different, which was me putting um, a very a more um, distinct, um, how should I say, distinct words behind what I've always felt and what I, f- I have felt my entire career and my entire life being a Black person in America, but also connecting um, how I use my communicative skills as a musician alongside all those feelings and thoughts I've always had um, and people who know me know I have. So, um, and that's where it gets very, very interesting that the capacity for um, being able to express those things um, via social media specifically is something that I had done occasionally, like, but I had never been, I didn't grow up with social media. Like I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I was a little late, you know, Facebook wasn't there when I was in college. It wasn't there when I was, you know, started like, like later. And so this was the first time I had really um, actively tried to um, say something in that way where other people would join me in making a chorus around this within the field and at large. So you, you referenced this a bit earlier, but in that original post, in addition to the part that I already read, you talked about, you know, you made references to Colin Kaepernick and, and people saying, you know, leave, leave politics out of sports. And, you know, truly people would say, some people say the same thing about the arts, you know, there are certain types. Yeah. There, there's political art and we can, we can do that there, but leave that there or take politics out of classical music do you find yourself having to toe that line? Is that something that that you're concerned about or thinking about? Do you feel you have to, you know, appeal to those who say, "Shut up and play"? Um, no, I don't. And I think, um, I think part of that reason is that it's it's really I'm, I would say it's you have to actively try to deny what's going on in the world. Like enjoying music and enjoying um, being a musician is something that's a part of me as a person, right? So I can't separate my artistry from who I am. You know, like the clarinet playing that I do is connected to who I am as a person and what I believe in all of these things. And so I can enjoy beautiful music and beautiful art by people that think different things and came from different places. And that's what I love about music in general is the universal voice. But for those that, that try to tell people that they can't believe a certain thing, that's like the opposite of what I think what art is and can do and what musicians and artists have always done throughout all of time. People have either chosen to, create art because of their own beliefs or attached to who they are as people, not from some abstract. It can also be abstract, but I also have a right as a person and as a a human being to be able to express what I believe. Um, And so that's okay. I think usually when you see people that are saying, you're not allowed to believe that, or you're not allowed to say these things. And I, and I think frankly, like what I'm talking about, in this particular instance is something that um, humanity and history will judge as being on the right side of, of humanity and history. Um, Human rights, human rights is something that I think that this is the right side of that people deserve a right to be able to live, you know, frankly. So I don't think of it as being, as I said in that post, I don't think of it as being radical or revolutionary or anything. I think most people, when you think about it, when we're talking about lives, you know, when we're talking about people's rights to exist. Um, this is something that I, I think that history will judge in the future. Um, and so, you know, having said that, 
should one separate things always? No, I think you can appreciate what you appreciate artistically for sure. But to say that people should silence their voices and silence their feelings about issues um, is, um, that's, that's going to be a challenge for me, <laughs> you know? So on that note of, of the abstract, which you mentioned, you know, there are people, you can say it directly and then you, there are more abstract ways to say it. As a classical musician and someone who's often working without lyrics, I mean, obviously we, we can think, uh, most of us can think of the lyrics to America the Beautiful in that instance, but in other instances where there just, there aren't any lyrics, how do you, how do you create meaning in a way that people know, okay, this is about this particular element of justice, or this is responding to this particular thing? What does it look like to contextualize work in that way? Yeah, I think, I think some music um, doesn't have meaning um, as far as like putting it in a political sphere. So some music exists because of the emotions, the human emotions that exist within the art form, within the music itself. So um, that is like the human experience being realized through sound. Um, and so some of that is not necessarily put into or onto the music of, for instance, um, the, the old writers of music, of the old kind of um, standard bearers of classical music. But creators that live in today's time, for instance, that lived in times before, and some musicians and artists throughout all of time, some of them have chosen their art form and their creative capacity to express specific concepts that have to do with human rights, racial justice, and other things. So for instance, for example, I was lucky enough to collaborate with Anthony Davis, a composer um, whose life work has, as a creator, as a composer of music, has chosen to write operas, um, one of the famous ones being Central Park Five, another about Malcolm X, uh, this one um, that I worked uh, with the Cincinnati Symphony and Louis Langre and Anthony Davis, and I got to perform in the fall um, called You Have the Right to Remain Silent. And part of this experience of this piece was about him being pulled over um, by police and a gun pulled on him and spending about an hour on the side of a road one night. And as a musician playing that music, the music with a meaning, music, music with using specifically as a vehicle to express something, um, I, I hesitate to say political because that term is charged, but something that's about human justice and human equality and human respect. Um, that is something that is really powerful to be able to experience as a clarinet player. So there are, so every piece of artwork is not a vehicle for political message. Every piece of music is not, but those that are can be extremely powerful and they have been, I think, throughout time. Do you find yourself looking for collaborators who share not, not just your kind of creative vision, but also maybe some of your, um, your, your missional, you know, your justice leanings when you are creating work that does fall into that, that sort of second category where, you know, it's important that the goals are the same. Is that, is that the case for you? Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky enough to be able to, I don't know if I find them or they find me, but I've been lucky enough to work with creators, with composers that have um, that in mind. And so I've been very, very, very lucky to be able to do so. And that that has been a very special part of my life because as a, as a classical musician, we can go through our careers playing 
uh, recreating music that has been written many, many years ago that doesn't have any necessary like relation to anything about the political climate or anything as I talked about before. But I think by nature of who I am, I've been able to find people and they have found me to, for us to be able to express those things together. Um, and that has been very powerful. Uh, for instance, uh, Richard Daniel Poor, amazing American composer, has written a clarinet concerto for me called From the Mountaintop um, about maybe the last few days of Dr. King's life. And he wrote a wonderful piece for me recently um, called Four Angels, dedicated to the four girls that were killed in the Birmingham bombing in 1963. And a powerful piece, powerful work. And that's just an example of how um, being able to collaborate with composers has been um, a gift for to me. Do you find yourself, is there is there any need to balance your creative artistic missions with your justice leanings? Do you see them as separate things that need to be balanced? Or is there a sense that they feed into each other? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I find that if you consider yourself a vehicle for, I consider my clarinet and my voice and my vehicle for self-expression in the world, and so how I express through that instrument is my, really my one, has always been my one voice to the greater world. And so in a way, I, I see my beliefs about justice and my belief about humanity and my beliefs about and hopes for um, real racial equality in the world to be something that when I can voice it, it's not separate from, from who I am. Like if when, for instance, if you give a speech about something and you talk about something, um, it's not just that you are communicating about how you can have some topics of conversation, let's just say, with your friends, you, the way you communicate with words. Some topics of conversation, you're talking about what movies you like that's not separate from the same voice, the same human, the same words discussing what you believe about justice in the world. You're using the same voice, the same person, the same spirit. And this is what I feel about um, the expressive art form that we have, the capacity to express in our art forms is that sometimes we are lucky enough and we are used as vehicles to be able to express maybe through our art forms, through other people, what we may think and what we may believe and feel truly and deeply about justice in the world. And so my vehicle for communicating with the world is through my clarinet, but has also been um, a vehicle for me to be able to express my thoughts with my words to you and others because of my um, clarinet, my initial clarinet voice that brought me to this platform with you today, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so thinking of, of maybe another part of, of that identity of yours as an educator, so you are, you're an ardent advocate for bringing classical music access to students from all backgrounds. That's a really, really important part of, of the work that you do. So I'm curious why that work is so, you know, as K through 12 programming specifically is a huge part of what we do here at Hancher, also university programming. Why is that work, that sort of work so near and dear to your heart? You've also been in residency, I should say, in residence this entire week um, with University of Iowa students. Why is that work so important to you? Uh, it's so It's so important to me because my whole existence, my whole um, passion, my whole dedication to to the art form of music 
um, is the reason I'm here with you. It's the reason why I can thrive. It's the reason why I breathe. And so the reason I teach, the reason why I believe in music education specifically, but artistic education um, comes from a place of being brought up um, by two parents whose lives were also shaped and changed um, by arts, the arts. I grew up in an artistic household. My parents were both art teachers when they met and art changed their world. It shaped their lives as who, who they are as people. And we grew up with that around us. It was also um, intertwined with the concept of racial justice. We had paintings in our house, sculptures in our house depicting you know, African sculptures. We had paintings by them depicting great historical black figures and heroes and um, alongside pictures of, of us as youth, as young people. And so this community of, of artists was something that we understood as this is how you can shape the world. We grew up listening to, you know, songs by Marvin Gaye that were taking place at the time of, of upheaval in our country and how music was used in our churches to, to um, create movements of change and progress in our country and how music has always been used in the black community and in many communities around the world to an art, to, to speak up, to try to change hearts and change minds, uh, not in spite of the art, but almost because of it or in unity with that. And so music education is just a part of what that is for me, what that means to be a person in the world um, that can um, actually do something to create change in people's lives, young people's lives. Um, so it's a it's a, both a personal mission, but it's also how I am who who I am today, and um, being able to share that and my mentors with who shared that gift with me, and my teachers who shared that gift with me as a young kid on the south side of Chicago, um, is the reason why I'm here talking to you. It's the reason why I am you know, playing when the first black principal clarinetist with the New York Philharmonic is because of them. It's because of those people that gave me that opportunity. And that doesn't mean that every kid that gets that opportunity is going to become a musician, but it doesn't mean that I think arts are a gift that every kid deserves. Education is a gift, just as math, science, reading, all of these things are things that should be, are just given to should be given to every kid equally no matter where they grew up or the color of their skin or their religion or all of these things for educating our you know youth music and art do that as well if and if not they uh, are not enriched by those um gifts you know art and music are part should be a part of that and they enrich lives so much that that's part of the reason that's just a small part of the reason why i feel like it's a um, important part of my life. And so you mentioned that your parents were were providing additional messaging, you know, you know, with images in the house and music that was in the house. What kind of messaging were you getting in in classical music circles as you were being trained as you were as a, you know, a, a young student studying music? And, and from that, do you find yourself then incorporating justice leaning or ensuring that the students who are taking classical music workshops with you understand the potential for the arts to expand minds and lives. And so that's, I feel like that's a really, really big question, but, you know, do you find yourself incorporating justice into your discussions with your students? Yeah. I mean, I, when I started teaching and started my own personal studio, maybe 15 years ago, um, I think I've always had a mindset that to be 
a great musician and a great artist, you need to be, one of the things I did learn is that you need to be kind to people. I, I, I do believe that. That's not something that everyone got in their training and not got in their upbringing, but I got that along the way. And one of my earliest experiences, and this is within a community of classical musicians um, that I grew up with on the South side of Chicago, was a group where I got a lot of messaging from the role models around me and my teacher, the teacher, the conductor. It was a group called the Chicago Teen Ensemble, which is a group of black, we were all black kids, black students. And it was a small group of us. And we would go around to churches and perform. And in that initial kind of upbringing in classical music, I always just thought that you know, this was a very, this was a very normal thing, you know, that there wasn't something different about me being black and playing classical music. And then as I went through um, youth orchestra and I went through camps and then, you know, we talk about it now and all, you know, 25, 30 years later, you know, you realize and you see how that is not what everyone is getting. This is not, and we're often deprived of so many, for instance, great, um, the history of classical music and black musicians and classical music too. We're deprived of all of that knowledge. So we're not, we're not even close to being there where, where we should be as a, as a field because of the history of our nation, the history of our world, you know? And, um, so, my work with the music advancement program specifically, and this is the first time where I've been more on the ground with that versus like just meeting with students all around the country, wherever I go and I perform and I talk to, to kids, black and brown kids or, you know, in different schools. This is something that I can actually have a tangible like uh, uh, effect on as artistic director of that program, because that is a part of its mission is to um, is to teach our diverse group of kids about what is it what does it mean to be a citizen musician a citizen artist of the world what does it mean to be able to affect um, society around you as a young musician as as you get older and what how do you use your art so not just the rigorous training that we they get through Juilliard teachers and you know through um, and I teach a couple of the young people in the program as well, but they're getting that well-rounded um, education that is very important for the future of all of humanity, I believe. Um, so, you know, a lot of us grew up, we probably grew up in a much more traditional, quote unquote, um, stream of education versus the one that now is necessary so it has always been necessary but the one that is now being um hopefully um supported by many 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 more people yeah i think in in a moment we'll open it up to questions from the audience um, again you can send those directly via chat or or post in the general chat um, but are there any conversations that are going on in classical music right now around diversity, equity, inclusion, access that give you hope, that excite you about the future? Yeah, I, I will tell you what excites me about the future and does give me hope is that many more people are having those conversations very seriously. So I believe that a lot of what quote unquote was called outreach 30 years ago, maybe when orchestras used to present concerts in different communities was just that, just outreach, like a concert. It's like, let's expose people to this. But the whole concept of like changing the culture and exposing the culture itself to its own history of discrimination, first of all, its own history of of kind of segregation within the field as, as segregation was a part of the American experience and the international experience. And that awareness of um, 
what happened, like how we got to where we are today, is something that does give me hope. The fact that um, the conversations are um, being um, required of organizations are being um, that organizations are being kind of held to a standard if they don't speak up about issues about what's going on in the world is something that's very different than when I was growing up in the field and growing up in the world is that most organizations didn't even touch anything that was happening day to day. And so I think not that that is, um, um, that it's a, it's a shame that people are just putting words to something and maybe not doing anything. I think the shift is that first, the fact that people are being um, really held um, to account for their actual actions in their organizations, within their organizations, is a um, net positive thing for the industry, for sure. That, um, and I think for the survival of, of the field, for the future of like all of us in this world, in this country, that um, we need everyone to feel like they have a voice in in society they have a voice within these organizations and are welcome in in them and i think um, like before unless you're having these conversations unless you're doing that kind of work unless you're like doing going a deep dive into what what you didn't do for the last hundreds of years that change is not never going to happen so I feel like there's been so much, there's been a, really a sea change, yes, within the last year, but yes, within the last few years, especially. And I hope that that um, is, inspires people in a, in a very beautiful way, because it's just better for the art form. It's better for all of us to be able to like know um, our blind spots and to be able to say our art form is the better for for welcoming all the different voices and creators that may have been silenced in the past and welcoming, welcoming and performers and welcoming them in to make it all richer for everyone. Yeah, that gives me hope as well. The idea that, that the events of the last year can make some lasting change, some lasting impacts on, on the arts at large. So we can hop into uh, some of our audience questions so why did you choose America the Beautiful? Was that an immediate decision or did you contemplate other choices before landing on that song? Yeah, that wasn't um, an immediate choice. Um, this was like bef right before, like as the, at the moment that I decided I should probably play my clarinet because I also didn't want people to say, you know, stick to the clarinet. I was like, yeah, I'm still sticking to the clarinet and this is a part of this. Um, but I was thinking about uh, when I decided that I wanted to play alongside the statement and alongside just kneeling without a clarinet down on two knees, I was thinking about, a, um, you know, Amazing Grace or some hymn or spiritual or something. And um, my wife actually thought of America the Beautiful. And I said, that's exactly what I need to play. That's exactly what I need to play. Because that was tied into um, the argument against protest in general is often this um, um, tag that somehow you are un-American or against, against America when I actually believe the complete opposite, which is that I actually think that people that are real patriots believe in what America is actually founded on, not what um, we think it's founded on sometimes, which is division and the words that all men are created equal, all people are created equal, have evolved and they need to evolve constantly in order to be true for those that exist today. And so this concept of America being beautiful is something that, in, and especially in the way I performed it, I was trying to examine what that means and who it means it for. You know, like what, uh, how do those words, what do those words mean for every person here in America? And it, and I, and part of that message is if it's not, if it's um, not true for some, it's not true for all, you know? And so America the Beautiful 
you know, from C to signing C, if we have this kind of racial violence in our country still against black people, against minorities, against black and brown people, against women, transgender people, Asians, if we have this kind of thing happening in our world, America can't possibly be beautiful for everyone, but it should be. We learn these anthems to be true and we learn all of these things about our country and our government and our constitution and these songs about the wonder and beauty of this country. And so I believe that we can um, uh, protest and we should protest against these things because they are anti-American, I believe. And so America the Beautiful is an interesting thing. And I'm really, uh, I was glad to be able to kind of explore that musically because we, we, um, we grow up with these things. And, and as a musician, you hear them and you understand them, but do we under, do we take these words to be true? You know, I think this next question kind of connects to that and thinking of the audience. Do you have a specific audience in mind when you play your music? And do you think that your music finds the people who really need to be communicated with about social justice? That's really interesting. Um, I, I hope that part of the way I communicate with the world is that there are a couple different ways. There's the way that like, yes, my clarinet playing can be detached from who I am as a person. You can hear my clarinet voice like on the radio or on a CD or a recording. And one might not need to know anything about me to appreciate that. But I think it's equally as important and um, powerful that the way, the who I am and the color of my skin and how I am with the world can affect people in a very powerful way as well. So whether that is um, the person in a small town somewhere that is that assumes that black people don't play classical music or whether it's the young boy or girl in the audience going to a concert and seeing only one black person on the stage in an orchestra and then being moved by that performance and saying I too can do that or look at that. That's interesting. Like, why is that? You know, and I think that's, that's something that I'm okay with. I'm okay with all of that, you know, because this is, this is who I am and this is my voice and this is my, my vehicle for medium for creativity and expression. And so I think if people are moved by the fact that I am black and that I believe in racial justice and I believe in, um, you know, these things and they know who I am and they know my story and they find out a little bit more about me and that moves them in a different way, then I think that is a part of, um, a great part of being an artist is that one can affect people in that way. And I hope that is a part of, how people see me. So you've talked about clarinet kind of being your your first your first voice, sort of so to speak. Um, one of the questions we have is, what drew you to the clarinet as a young person? Well, I wanted to play a wind instrument because my brother played the flute, uh, Demaring's principal of the Seattle Symphony, principal flute, and he was my earliest musical inspiration. And, um, but around the house, you know, we used to listen to a lot of, um, like jazz radio and smooth jazz radio. And so I used to like the saxophone a lot. And so, um, when I got to school and there was a band and there was like a, a big table of instruments, went right to the saxophone, picked it up and it was like twice as large as me. I couldn't barely hold it. So, um, the teacher, um, said you can play the clarinet and then switch to the saxophone and um later and i never did and so that's that's how 
I got involved with the clarinet. What do you think is the major difference between language and music in delivering a message about justice? Great question. So the difference between using words are that um, they can be, you know, understood very clearly, but even words can be interpreted very differently as we know. So I would say that just as in when you hear a really powerfully delivered and beautiful poem, for instance, and how that they, the words can sound musical because they affect you, they affect your spirit so much and the meaning behind them, even though they can be somehow mysterious, even a collection of words put together can be um, very compl complex and very difficult to understand that beneath those words is an expression of something that um, people react to, you know, internally or, um, through their through their heart or it reaches them reaches their spirit that can be very clear and helped by by words because the meaning of the words is understood um in the language and um, the specific language english or french or whatever and that's why the the medium of opera is so can be so powerful or theater can be so powerful but I think the power of music is that one doesn't necessarily um, need to understand um, words to feel those same emotions and to react to them in that in a similar way. And somehow the song without words has a unique power um, because you don't expect it in the human way to be affected so much by pure sound um, without words. Do you see us facing these same issues that we've been discussing this evening and conversations in say 50 years or longer? How much hope do you have for our society to see real substantial change in our lifetimes? I have a bit of hope because substantial change is is relative to what you feel substantial change would look like i think that the pace of change throughout all of society um, is slow but our existence here on earth you know, and time itself um, and the earth itself has been around so long that sometimes when we feel that our progress has not been great through our individual lifetimes, I have hope that progress over the span of many generations that I may never see will be great. I have hope so within my lifetime, I think that's a very small sample size for all of history. Yes, I wish and I hope that we would see all the positive change regarding um, issues of, of the creation of the human concept of race disappeared, right? I would love that to happen, but if I were to say realistically, do I think that's gonna happen in my lifetime? No. But do I think that through the process of political change, the process of, of voting, the process of, of people understanding each other's humanity in a global scale more, um, um, better <laughs> or better. I hope that over time, all of time, that maybe we're getting closer to that, 
even though it may feel like we are so far away still from where we need and would love to be. So I don't know if that answers the question, but um, hope is something that is not um, something that you can identify and say, yes, I hope that in, in 30 years, we will be at this place. Hope is something that you live with, I think, either permanently. And somebody said once that the opposite of hope is not a possibility for us. It was something like that. I think it was Brian Stevenson that talked about that, that to do the work that a person like him does, that he does every day, and those folks that are on the ground doing real work in this area, without hope, they would stop, they couldn't do the work. You know, so I should easily have hope, you know, because what else is there if you don't have if you don't have hope. And if we zoom back from that that future thought into the present, maybe as our, our probably as our final question here, what potential do you see for music and activism, advocacy, the pursuit of justice to come together more deeply or to greater effect? I think there's a, there's great potential. I think music has always has always um, had the capacity to do that, to, to kind of unite people and to create change. And I just think that the, the classical music field as we know it in the last hundred years or so, um, hasn't found it necessary to do that until recently. And I think there could be a great um, awakening happening right now that we're in the midst of where um, people can understand that the communities of artists and organizations of our artists and music musicians can actually unite around good causes for people and good causes for one another and still present their art form you know well and even maybe it's even a necessity now to be able to do so and and to care about things. I think that's an important part is that I think we we can care about things and present concerts. <laughs> they shouldn't you shouldn't have to do one and not the other. And I think that's where things can come in into the world. And I think not just artists and musicians, but business. You see businesses now you know, for-profit companies being really forced to say things about things that are going on in the world, in their communities, and not being allowed to just sit back and say, well, we're not about that. We're trying to sell this product. And I think this is where the world is going. And I think that's a net positive for humankind is that we are not separate from the pain and injustice that's being inflicted on our customers, on our audiences, or on the audiences that we would like to reach. We're not separate from them. We are communities and businesses and cultures and schools and orchestras made up of people. And we just happen to do a specific thing, but we shouldn't we care about people as well that are maybe less fortunate than us or that are being um, attacked or that have less resources than we do and less access to the same beautiful things that we uh, cherish and the things that we take for granted. And I think that's something that, that humankind is maybe going forward and hopefully we are moving toward a direction where that becomes the norm and not the exception. It's a beautiful way to end. Thank you, Anthony, so much for joining us this evening. And thank you to all of you for being here. Um, 
this has been a, a beautiful conversation. I do want to mention that Anthony had a performance, has a virtual performance streaming right now that you can get um, on the Hancher website where he performed with Pacifica Quartet. Um, so you can find that. That should be available through April 7th. So please visit our website, hancher.uiowa.edu for more details on that. Thank you again, Anthony, for joining us. Thank you so much, Micah. Good night, everybody. Thank you.